Hello and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by me, Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. It's the second part of our witch trilogy, I guess. <laughs> we did Witch Hat Atelier. After this, we are going to be doing witchcraft works. And this week's episode is about witches. Both That's the title of the book, <laughs> which is The Complete Collection by Daisuke Igarashi. If you're a manga nerd, you know that Daisuke Igarashi also did Children of the Sea, which was published by Viz a couple of years back. It is translated by Catherine Hensler, adapted by Jamal Joseph Jr., lettering by Aidan Clark, and let's see, it's published by Seven Seas. It's a one-volume omnibus, which we all know Chip loves those one-volume omnibuses that are how many hundreds of pages. (laughs) (laughs) But in this case, I think it was a good choice for them to put it all together in one book. I think it was originally two. It's a collection of short stories all about witches and witchcraft. And it's a very different approach to witches and witchcraft. I mean, it's not like Samantha on Bewitch where she, you know, twinkles her nose and, you know, Darren gets into trouble. These are much more elemental, I guess you could almost say scary witches sometimes. A lot of nature, a paganism, it's got a lot of interesting themes in it. Let's read the back of the book before we go any further. Let's see, an award-winning collection of interwoven tales of witchcraft. On a visit to a city in the far west of Asia, a British girl named Nicola falls in love. The object of her affection is Mimar a man who works at the city's bazaar. Yet despite her attempts, he turns her down. Upon returning home to England, the ache of her unrequited love festers. After years spent obtaining wealth, fame, and the secret of the world, Nicola returns to the bazaar to exact her deadly revenge upon Mimar and those he holds dearest. This story is one of many in this haunting collection that features tales of witches and dark magic set around the world and in outer space winner of the Excellence Prize in the 2004 Japan Media Arts Festival, which is, is written and illustrated by Daisuke Igarashi, the critically acclaimed author of Children of the Sea. So this is an interesting one to throw at you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, who do I make go first? Let's do David. David, what did you think of witches? Yeah, I, I'm glad this was a two-volume omnibus. You know, like a two-in-one, because I'm mm. not sure if I like the first couple of stories much at all, but then kind oh, of yeah? from Bird Riding Witch to Petrogenitalics and parts of Thief of Songs and definitely Beach, like I kind of liked it a lot more towards the end of the book, like volume two onward, mm. presumably. Mm. Why is that? I had a, I did cram the book and read it in one sitting, which normally is fine, but you know, it's probably worth mentioning, but I felt like the story was a little more airy and open than I was wanting Mm. to read, maybe. Mm. Mm. Like Spindle with, you know, Nicola and all that stuff. Like, it just sort of didn't, I didn't buy in. Like, I appreciated a lot of the drawings. I thought some of the layouts were interesting, but the explanations of magic, kind of the dilemmas the characters were going through, didn't really sit or, like, settle with me. Mm. Mm. But like Bird Riding Witch, I thought was kind of sweet in its simplicity. And also like its length, it's like, what, eight pages, seven pages, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the ones like Petra and Beach kind of broadened the world of the witches for me a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's good, but there was like a good, I don't know, a third of it where I was like, okay, well, this is kind of long and there's a lot of words. <laughs> it's not a speed read, that's for sure. No, definitely not. It's funny. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. Please, uh, I I agree with David exactly. Like I had the, the same reaction. I read it all in one sitting, and I think after the first story, I was just like, oh, I don't know if I can do this whole book. Yeah, like it just it just felt like it felt like too much and not enough at the same time. Mm-hmm. By the back half, I was like, oh no, okay, all right, I'm getting into. I think just getting into the rhythm of it made it easier, and I, I did like those stories better, just like David did, since him and I are the exact same person. <laughs> it did feel like it opened up the world more. The The language kind of started to feel less kind of dense and circular. And and yeah, like I, I appreciate the drawings. But I appreciate them a lot more as the story went on. There were a lot of kind of real standout pages and layouts. So yeah, I just wanted to chime in to say that uh, David speaks for me in all things. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Good job, us. (laughs) (laughs) Were there particular layouts that you thought were you know really stand out or stunning or? Page 354, when the girl is getting rained on and kind of her skin turns to raindrops and then she realizes that she's the water. Like, I love that whole section. That was really mm, well done. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I really, I mean, the, the bombing of the, uh, the rainforest, that whole scene was just really beautiful and elegantly drawn. What about you, Deb? Like, what stood out to you? Did anything catch your eye? I guess part of me liked the way that they depicted horror in this book. Like mm. The first story yeah. where, you know, like the the boy, you know, takes does the magic spell and then he just dissolves into like like blood and bone and sinew and like in a very liquidy kind of way. Yeah. Or that she turns mm. the the old woman who she met years earlier, she turns him into a pile of rats. Like it was kind of horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and amazing but you know like i think the latter like the ones of the amazon and the ones at the beach where he talks about nature and organisms as being magical or like being in touch with that kind of primal natural force that is at a level that you normally don't see or consider mm-hmm. i find it really psychedelic and interesting mm. i guess i also appreciate his global approach you know, that he, he takes the story to all different corners of the world and he draws. And beyond. Yes. Some more successfully than others, but I think it's kind of refreshing to see a story that's not just set in Japan with you yeah. know, wacky hijinks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Chris, what about you? So I've been waiting to read this for a really long time. Really, really long time. I really loved Daisuke Agarashi's Children of the Sea, both while it was coming out and then afterwards. And we got Witches in at the Big Island when I was working there in French in two volumes. It's been out in French for over a decade. And Mm -hmm. my French at that point was just not, not even close to good enough to read it. So despite, I would flip through it and see these sort of marvelous, bizarre drawings. And it's an earlier work than Children of the Sea. So I think he's more accomplished now as an illustrator than when he put this together, it was still 
it was like a magic book, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. kind of obvious, but it was it was a magical sort of book for me as this this thing that had this barrier of language between me and it and something I really wanted to read more of. So I had a lot of expectations going into reading this book and it was probably really unfair to it, but in the end I really liked it and I don't disagree with either Chip or David that the earlier stories definitely don't work as well as the later stories in this mm-hmm. volume. The the first story Spindle, the big two-parter is very ambitious and I think mm-hmm. It's got lots of really interesting ideas in it, but I don't think he executes the way he wants to as an artist. There's like a gap between where he wants to be and where the story sort of ends up. That's unfortunate because it does it it is supposed to be this sort of like white colonialist lady coming in using her version of witchcraft and magic to subjugate people on a different level. There's a good metaphor here that's really interesting. But as a cartoonist and as a writer, he just can't nail her as a character. He can't put together, I think, he doesn't make her compelling enough as a villain. It's it's just sort of, and it's some of it is her as a villain, but some of it is just the way the story is told. And it's like very people talking past each other and being mystical and portentous, (laughs) but there's no grounding. (laughs) Everything's like a one page scene for the, like for, for, 20 consecutive pages yeah and you just want to like get some grounding you need to put some ground under people's feet so that you can throw all the like mystical mumbo jumbo stuff and people give game in a hard time but he's really good at that he grounds you in a place and a time and the mundanity of that space and then introduces all of the gods and goddesses and mythical mystical whatevers but because you have that grounding you have a place from which you can interpret it and he does that a lot better in the later stories i think it does get better and better and better as it goes until the last story the ending story is is phenomenal is really really good but that said i think there's so many interesting ideas in that first story that a reread is highly recommended because starting to read the story after you know how it's going to turn out and sort of what the point of it all was really lets you enjoy some of the foreshadowing he did and some of the character stuff he's trying to do that you only get little slices and pieces of. It's very art comics. It's oblique mm-hmm. art comics, but it's drawn like commercial comics in, in that sort of artsy, you know, <laughs> commercial style. This is a Kodansha book, but he's best known maybe for Children of the Sea at Iki for Shigakukan. So yeah, I have really complicated feelings that mostly mirror David's and Chip's, but I started, I think, a much higher place. Like I think... I think the first story does work and is really interesting, but it only gets better from there. And by the time you get to the very last story in the book, it's phenomenal, like top-notch comic. So yeah, yeah that's my take. It's funny you said Neil Gaiman because nah. like he came to mind while I was reading too, but I thought it was like mm-hmm. the boss baby thing where the guy who who's only seen the boss baby sees the boss baby in everything. I've never heard of that, but that's crazy, David. That's a crazy wow. thing you just mentioned out loud. I think David just made that up. Yeah, it'll make perfect sense like, in the show notes. You know how everyone's talking about Boss Baby all the time, and you just you start to notice it. It's like, no, no one's talking about Boss Baby, bro. It's more like a person who's only seen the movie Boss Baby when he sees a second movie. He's like, oh, I'm getting a lot of Boss Baby vibes from this. Oh, That's okay, how I thought yeah, about yeah. gaming in this. Because <laughs> I've read some like magical fantasy, and I was like, wow, this is yeah. like really kind of gaming-y. 
But I was like, oh, well, no, that's silly. It's just a, a book about magic. Neil Gaiman doesn't own the concept of magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. But now it turns out I was Those right. Those <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I, I I had the exact same Boss Baby vibes here yeah. with, with the game, and especially in the first couple, especially especially with the first couple stories, because there is a lot of like, ah, but magic is a hidden language, and it's oh, the secrets are within this and that, and like you must not speak this or do like. Mm. It felt very Sandmanny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boss Baby. When you think about it, when you think about it, dream, the dream of the endless is kind of the original boss baby. Like he's a bit of a baby. That Uh, really works. I see boss baby in everything, so that's just me. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The game in reference I was specifically making though was the fact that they mix lots of different religions and mythologies and belief systems together mm-hmm. and then comment on how they interact with one another and Gaiman's the guy that does that in comics even Marvel which has a Hercules and a Gilgamesh and a Thor they don't get together and talk about which one like sometimes there's like a, a snake situation where you have to figure out who the true gods are it turns out they're all eternals blah 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 but like in <laughs> comics we're going to take all of these belief systems at face value and treat them as true and see how they interact with the idea of witchcraft is a theme in this book that I think is fascinating. And that's the guy that does that in comics usually is Gaiman. And now we've got, you know, number two or number three, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I totally, I'm glad, I'm glad I could de-boss baby that if I, de-boss baby if I that for you. Well, now we're just going to despicable me it. but page 277 is a good example i think of what you're talking about the kind of Mm. syncretion i think is the technical word the combining of different religions and things when the priests Mm. say god bless you to a woman who's going to space to basically save the world and the child is like don't send her off with a lie if someone who hadn't once seen the sky said the sky is blue even if they were right it would still be a lie what she's saying isn't like God doesn't exist. She's saying like you dudes don't deserve to like worship God. Like don't do this. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. Uh, is such a strong, and they all walk out of the room after she gives that really great speech, just being self congratulatory and dismissive. And that's, yep, that's religion to me. Anyway, <laughs> that's not religion explaining. Let's not too hard anyway. But witches, Deb, what was your overall thought on this? You sort of asked us, and we talked a little bit about it, but. You hadn't read this before you recommended it or before you picked it for the podcast, right? Mm, no, I, I bet basically, but when I recommended it for the podcast, I had just gotten it in the mail. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, and I've, I've always wanted to recommend Children of the Sea because I think it's such a unique bit of storytelling and such a unique perspective on magical realism, you know, that it's so mm-hmm. nature driven. It's by someone who loves drawing nature. Like and not just landscapes. He loves trying microcosm, like microorganisms, and like it's maybe this is probably too personal, but like you know, as most college students in my age, I took a lot of psychedelics. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> this is the least scandalous thing you've said on the podcast. <laughs> probably, I like that how this is how this comes across in this book. You know, like mm. when you're. When you're an asset, you think, oh, my God, I know the secrets of the universe. Oh, all is one, you know, like all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, too, that 
I'm also fascinated by the idea that, you know, as its origin kind of ties into why women are, I guess, persecuted, you know, or Mm. people, men, religions try to control them. You know, women have the power of creation, right? Mysterious, Mm -hmm. scary. Women have this intuition. Oh, we Mm. must, you know, this can't be, this can't stand. So, matri- like you know, matriarchal societies and matriarchal type magical practices mm-hmm. are, to me, that's a really interesting dichotomy, right? Because you know, let's face it, most of our world is patriarchal in nature nowadays. But the, the societies that are remain matriarchal or female centered or where women are equals have a very different vibe. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying there, and this book. The thing I'm I'm curious about is how do you feel about this book espousing that idea those ideas but also being written and drawn by a dude? Mm. I, that's interesting, right? Because like you think to yourself, well, would a woman have drawn this differently, right? Mm-hmm. Would a woman have told this story differently? And I I can't say. Because on one hand, I I I appreciate that he's drawing these women in all different ages all different ethnicities. It just seems more like he's curious. I don't think it's hmm. fan servicey. There is a certain degree of nerdity, but I don't see it as being fan servicey. He even has an opportunity to do fan service mm. in the story with the girl going to the beach where she washes up on the beach and he could have shown panty and he specifically has her skirt come down to cover herself. And I was like, oh, nice. Way to not be a creep, Daisuke Garage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, th- this genre is interesting. No, I ask because it felt really researched to me. It felt mm. really it like he had done his homework, but obviously I'm also a dude commenting on that. So I wanted to get your take on it. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of history in here, right? Like, you know, mm. and a lot of different avenues to explore what witchcraft means. Right? And the contrast and conflict between the old ways and the modern world. I, I guess maybe I think about this you know, in relation to growing up in Hawaii, mm. when Hawaii is, has a real spiritual vibe to it. Like everyone I know has a ghost story. Everyone I know has mm. an encounter with something they can't explain. We're surrounded by nature. There's just this nature vibe. And then when I moved to the mainland, you know, I don't feel it anymore. Mm. Concrete, right? Concrete, it's dead. The water's dead. <laughs> Maybe if you go to the, the forest, you feel a little bit you feel a little bit of it, but it doesn't feel as alive. It doesn't feel as mysterious. So I guess I resonated with that aspect of it, the book. Yeah, I totally, totally feel you on that one. And I, I, I get it as well. It maybe wasn't as strong for me, but I think about this book actually, and what you just said sort of reinforced it. So I will bring it up because I wasn't going to. Mm. The only time I've ever felt like that and felt like there is maybe something you know, more was when I went to Okinawa and Susan Mohiga, mm. who's doing Mabui and sort of the sand, Okinawa, the book Okinawa with us from August Planning Extra, toured us around, which was very kind of him and told us things to go see. And we saw a bunch of stuff. And we went to a, a place that had been a, like a, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was like a, an altar and a temple, but in the wild, like there was no constructed building around it. And it had been there under this immense standing stone. That had been there for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. And if you climbed the sanding stone, 
you could see a piece of there was a circle sort of carved into the rock where you could that was maybe not or not carved but naturally formed that looked directly at an island and the indigenous ryukyu religion ryukyu is islands or what okinawa was called before they were taken over by japan is a matriarchal religion and so there was this island through this space in a rock and you were like it did make you think there is something special here there is a feeling or an emotion or something larger than yourself in this space it was very tranquil and very holy i guess it was the closest i'd ever felt to feeling something that actually felt holy and it was Mm. something that was a (laughs) sort of very old matriarchal still practiced to this day by the way religion and i thought that that was fascinating and so reading this and thinking about spaces that are magical or whatever you know i don't really believe in anything other than what is right in front of me most of the time but I got it, <laughs> and that was pretty good for me. I got to say, I felt pretty good about that reading this book. But I don't know that it's going to necessarily have that for everybody. But not without acid. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I like it. The more <laughs> abstract aspects that you two are talking about, I appreciated those a lot. Like, I like those in comics, but I think, like, I'm not really a psychedelics guy. The... <laughs> One time in Japan where I felt close to what Christopher was talking about was actually looking over Tokyo from like the 23rd floor and sort of seeing the scope of the city and how much had been built up since World War II and having that kind of overwhelming awe feeling, you know, like people did this and it's like great and terrible kind of a vibe. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this book is about people's harmony with nature. Like when Hinata at the end takes like a shell from from the island, like it throws nature into disharmony. You know, they have to send the stone to space, like to restore harmony to the earth. Like a lot of that stuff really speaks to me in terms of just like how we make our space as humans on the planet Hmm. and tying it to like a, like a layer of the mystical makes it feel like the stakes are even higher. I I think. Yeah. And it's not everything that we read that actually tries to tap into ideas like that. A lot of the stuff that we read is really grounded, <laughs> even with mm-hmm. superpowers and things like that. It's about one-on-one sort of emotions and feelings and places in the world. Mm-hmm. And this really does pull back the camera quite a bit, even in the small, even in the Hinata story, which is really just about how Hinata feels about things. It pulls the camera way, way back to get the whole universe in. And I think that that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, this last story, right, is set at Okinawa, right? Yeah, last mm-hmm. story set in, set in Okinawa. And that's... With the and that's maybe when I was reading that I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this all feels this all feels pretty real. But I get, I get that feeling of awe, but like the awful awe, like filled with awe feeling when I, David, same way, going up to the top floors of Tokyo and looking out over it, and it's just there are things that are bigger than you, and that this isn't one person or even a group of people. Like this, there's a will here that had to happen. So yeah, I totally, I feel that too. It's a weird podcast. It's a weird, weird episode. <laughs> but yeah. I, I <laughs> yeah, there's a book Dark Horse put up called Eminon about a woman who lives several lifetimes. And then she just kind of has this, it kind of has that same vibe. Like she's, mm. she's is forever young, but then she, she kind of like exists through these different lifetimes and these different people. And it's very quiet and meditative, but, and maybe a little melancholy. But it's more, I think, linear, and than than witches, right? Like a lot of the stories in witches. In witches, I think. Oh, you're right, Chris. I think it's a very ambitious book, and ambitious books either tend to soar, 
or crash. <laughs> <laughs> and I in think those uncontrollable first ways. <laughs> might have crashed for Chip and, and David. Do you think that the book, guys, do you think the book was redeemed by those last stories that you liked? Do you, or do you think it is, it does exist as a piece now? Or do, are those, those first two stories for you just unsalvageable? I redeemed feels strong. Like there was some kind of moral <laughs> insult that the book inflicted upon me that must be, you know, avenged. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just, I read the stories and I bounce off them. Like they're just not my bag. Mm. Even on pages like 101 with, with all the demons and the lady saying, now you'll lose everything. Normally, you know, that's extremely my thing. Like it just didn't click. And I think that's fine. Like it just happens sometimes. But because I know that it's an anthology, I just kind of like, kept it moving and found later stories that I liked more that aren't even really about the same things. Like the stories feel pretty different to me in a lot of ways. Mm. Chipper. Yeah. I mean, unsurprising. I, I agree with David, <laughs> 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 but, but I, but I also say like once, once I hit the, the later stories, I was like, Oh, okay. This is a book where I should have probably slowed down in the reading mm-hmm. or gone back and reread it a second time. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I think if I reread it after having finished the book, I probably would have gleaned more from those uh, first couple of stories. Yeah, yeah, I think it all I think it all works as a package. I think even though it's an anthology and they're you know they're different stories, they all still kind of have the same themes running through them. Like it feels like one whole piece. Mm. So I think I think a reread would probably, or maybe if I was smarter, I would have enjoyed the, the first two stories better. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I ain't the brightest bulb. Oh, I think you're being way too hard on yourself. Yeah. I wasn't sure I was going to mention this either, but this is the first time I've ever actually switched from reading a physical copy of a manga and then opened it up digitally instead because I wasn't enjoying the reading experience. Hmm. Hmm. I don't think Seven Seas did a bad job with the physical print on this edition. The paper's a little thin and it's a little bit less white and bright and popping the inks than I would like. But there was something about when I started reading the book and I read the first 30 pages where I felt like I was getting lost and I felt like I was not quite sure what was going on. And I'm like, no, some of this is the author trying to do their thing, but I really don't like how the art is reproducing on the pages here because it's so much gray in this artwork and so many fine Mm. lines and the pages weren't very white. They're pretty, they're pretty yellowy, gray, you know, beige. And I was, it just made the conscious decision to, okay, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to buy the, I'm going to buy the, the, the online version instead. Cause I got to do show notes anyway. And lo and behold, 36 pages in the reading experience improved dramatically. And that has mm. never happened to me with a manga before where I have preferred reading the digital to the print. And it was this one because of the way he makes his art and because of how it was reproduced. So I think it's just a hard <laughs> for 60 pages, buddy. I don't think you're dumb. I think it's actually, <laughs> I changed formats. I was like, there's something wrong with me because I was expecting this and I really wanted to like this and I am not enjoying myself very much. I liked it by the end of the first story, by the end of Spindle, but oh, I had to change formats. So yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. I don't think I'm being hard on myself. I think I can recognize that some things are too smart for me. <laughs> I don't think it's being hard. I think it's just being a realist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to be one of those, you know, those readers who just like pretends that they get a thing just to seem smart. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's interesting because it. it's not quite a horror story, you know. It's it really isn't. 
it doesn't horrify you, but it there's some beautifully gross artwork. <laughs> yeah, it's unsettling. Yeah. A good example is on page 168, 169, and then the spread following that, when the soldiers are in the forest about to shoot the uh, shaman. And they kind of keep the drawing of the soldiers the same, or like the same layout mm-hmm. for the drawing. It might be a different drawing, but change the background immensely. It goes from kind yeah. of realistic to like, you know, the supernatural peeking in mm-hmm. to like full-blown supernatural kind of on on display. I feel like I've only seen that static panel bit and stuff like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Hmm. Like when Dio in part three of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, there's a character who can stop time, basically. And the way they explain that is they show like it's like eight pages in a row of basically the same drawing, but him moving through the drawing instantaneously. Yeah. It's a really cool effect. And this, the way they kind of slowly peel back the layers of reality makes me feel like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where they do similar stuff a lot of times, kind of showing yeah. you the, the 3D underpinnings of reality. So there's yeah. like all these little techniques and tricks, magic tricks that they're using that are really good. Next page, 172, has like a really realistic drawing of a person and then kind of like a sketch of a ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's really effective. Yeah. I just love his art so much. Do you guys like the art? Yeah. I love it. And I was one and you, I haven't really heard you talk about like David, obviously you just talked about some storytelling stuff there, but his actual drawings of people and how they move in the world, it all just feels really right to me. Yeah, once in a while it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Like I I think I think the artist is really meticulous and once in a while they kind of they wing it and it doesn't quite land the same. Mm-hmm. But overall, I, I think it's 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 gorgeous. Page three eighty is a great drawing of mother and child. Like it almost mm. has to be from a photo. The way just the the vibe of it is so strong. Not that you know you can't invent a vibe like that, but it feels like it's from reference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Also, the nice name right is kind of like a a sweet moment to end a story on. Like not <laughs> smug, but like that that. Uh, Proud, I guess, is less smug. Yeah. I mean, they're both like pride is actually worse. It's a sin, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that whole one was, was kind of my ideal of like a story about a witch being letting, like, just giving you enough, uh, like, enough space to make the mistake that you need to make that benefits them. Oh, it's a good witch story that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally dug that. What makes a witch story? For me? So witches are people who exist outside of society, basically. Might have to participate in society to eat or whatever, but have society, as we think of it, being a patriarchal sort of construct, like Deb's saying, witches have their own society and had societies that were different before they were replaced. So witches sort of necessarily exist in opposition to patriarchal society, in my my reading of witches and witchcraft. So mm-hmm. if you've got this person and and magic always has a cost is the other gamanism <laughs> that I that I've <laughs> yeah. read these stories. But all right, like he Hinata meets this witch on the boat. The witch is going to give her exactly what she thinks sh- she wants, and all she has to do is like not take anything away, which is another thing about you know the fairy realms and things like that. It's a it's a cross cultural 
thing. You could take, you could visit, but if you take anything, you're you're trapped forever. And then, yeah, so she takes a seashell. The storm gets her, but it has to have that. Maybe you can outsmart the witch. Maybe the witch outsmarts you. Sort of brothers grim, fairy tale sort of a thing, you know. Rumpelstiltskiny, who was a a witch of some kind, you know that that kind of idea where it's like, I'll give you your heart's desire, and all you have to do is you know behave and and not disrupt the natural laws. Is what it all it all comes down to. Don't disrupt the natural laws, or you'll get what's coming to you. And of course, everyone disrupts the natural laws. Everyone gets what's coming to them, and that's why it's a moralistic fable. And that's that's a witch story to me. And this is sort of the perfect example of it, more so than anything else in the book. What I think of as a witch story. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was very me centric. <laughs> I asked you directly. It's all good. Because <laughs> I don't know if I have the concept of a witch story, like what they should be, you know, the way I would for like Spider Man in the mm. same way. Like it's not as well defined as a concept, or I'm not as experienced with it, I guess. Well, w- witches are different, right? You know, like in most superhero comics, let's put it. I mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. pre like 80s, whatever. The women had very passive or long range powers, right? Mm-hmm. Psychic, you know, shrinking, invisible, you know, not brute force. Like helper powers, basically. Yeah, you know, like they can be at far range and they can, like, it's much different types of powers or like they're very nimble or very acrobatic. You know, they're not, you know, going to you know, knock down a building with their bare fists, right? Right. <laughs> and so it's it's a different, if you think about it, there's like this idea of what is feminine power, right? And what is masculine power? And we've questioned that, I think, in storytelling in more recent years. But, you know, like this kind of witch story kind of harkens back to, you know, like like Salem witches, like women who maybe like had, you know, powers of healing, could do medicine, intuition, fortune telling, all these things that people were f- frightened of and still can't explain. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with that? You squash it, you burn it, <laughs> you exile it, you treat it as, you know, something to be feared and persecuted. So witches come from that versus where is, you know, like why, ask yourself, like, why does the Catholic Church want to regulate women's ability to reproduce? <laughs> why does mm-hmm. it matter? Hmm. I get what you're getting at. It's maybe beyond the scope of this particular comic book. But I do, oh, yeah, yeah. I think he thinks about yeah. the same things too, though, because he mm-hmm. does, he is pretty brutal to organized religion. Daisuke Garashi mm. is throughout every story and not just Catholicism mm. right from the opening monologue of of the first story and I think that that's you know I think that that's something that if you're going to talk about which is especially contemporary witchcraft it's something you gotta you gotta wrestle with is that a lot of that is set up in a opposition to contemporary power structures which includes religion so about about halfway through Deb's explanation, I just started imagining how cool it would be to have a comic where witches could punch people through skyscrapers. <laughs> <laughs> like just Dude, totally easy. Witchcraft works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just totally, just totally subvert right. that. Is it? Is it? Oh, that's man. That's what we're coming to, yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect. Look at that. 
<laughs> yeah. On a similar kind of note with Witchcraft Works next week, which is very tonally different from the uh-huh. the witchcraft action in this one, but still has like the hidden kind of under underbelling of society aspect. Mm. I wasn't expecting this to have so many words compared to Children of the Sea, mm. which was very meditative, kind of slow. Like there was a lot of pages that were kind of like, all right, like dwell on this art for a little bit and think about like the conversation you just read. Well, this is just straightforward, like forward motion. Everyone kind of lays their, you know, insecurities and plans bare. There's a lot of like creepy lines. Yeah, it's it's very much a different book than I was expecting, considering the mm-hmm. subject matter and what I knew of the author, which was fascinating while I was reading. Mm-hmm. It feels like a younger work to me. Like, I think the three of us have all read Children of the Sea, although it might have been a few years. And it's mm-hmm. just, you can... I feel like he's a better visual artist. I feel like he's a better storyteller. I feel like he takes his time in a different way in Children of the Sea. I absolutely agree with what you've said. And this is just a younger work where he is getting to that point. And I think that's, I don't know, I'm going to throw some, I'll throw a couple sequences up in the show notes. I've already thrown mm. sequences from Children of the Sea into the show notes just because they're so pretty, <laughs> I think, more than once. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw something up there, but yeah, I agree with you, and I think if we ever do read Children of the Sea, it's going to maybe blow Chip's mind to see where he ends up at as an artist mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. what he read in this book. Because you can already kind of tell between the first and last story the the things that are going on and the way he depicts it, just that he is just getting better and better. Yeah, it's because cool. this is a 2004 book, yeah? Yeah. And that's what the copyright is, and Children of the Sea is 2005 to 2011. If you want to get a taste of Children of Sea without reading five books, there is an animated version that's on Netflix. Do check it out. With Daisuke Igarashi, like, you know, of course, you know, it's it, the delicacy of his line and, you know, the detail and stuff like that. It's very immersive and interesting, but it's a, quite something else to see it in color. So, oh, yeah. It's a different experience. Nice. Yeah. I, I don't think it quite captures the, the, the nervous, like that the organic the detail of the manga it's a it's a different expression and as we've mentioned before it's sometimes the anime version is a little bit more linear story-wise than the manga which can be kind of leave some things that are ambiguous or more dreamlike but i think they're interesting companions to each other although i do understand why there's no witches anime <laughs> I think it would be very difficult to pull off <laughs> Did this run as a series, or were they like one shots that they collected eventually? Oh no, it's in, it was in. It says in Shigokukan's monthly. Yeah, it was an Iki from two thousand three so, to two thousand four. Witches was an Iki, and then Children of the Sea. He did it looks like just after that, and when, then when that was That's an Iki right. as well. Yeah, I guess uh-huh. that makes yeah. sense. Like wild because the, the art in Children of the Sea is is very good. I don't think this is bad, but it is definitely better than than this. Wow, that is wild. Yeah, that's cool. I like there are bits about this, like the lettering I appreciated with how well it merged with the original art to mm. the point where there's the spread of the guy exploding into the I love you guts and like the little incidental lettering really fits with the the horrible thing happening to him. Mm. Yeah, we talked about this with another Seven Seas book, right? Where there was a mix of translated and untranslated sound effects. Mm-hmm. That was Blue Giant, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think these are all translated. 
Yeah, I would love to know if they got layered files for this. This is really cool. Aiden Clark on lettering. And the stuff that's not translated seems very deliberate. Like, for example, the opening spread, pages, I guess, five, six, which just is like this insanely ornate majo which is or maho which is the majo no majo which is the name mm. of the book in japanese like you're not going to translate you're not going to re-letter witches <laughs> in that level of font you know what i mean like can you imagine mm. david like that's your new it. job pages four and five where it's just a giant ornate m and then ajo and then it's witches by daisuke garashi your job is to localize and re-letter that to say witches as a manga editor go I'm pretty sure it would just be hire someone else to letter it in a similar style would be the, the solution. There. Yeah. Would it cost as much as lettering the rest of the book? Yeah. There was one, they did actually leave the Japanese in on the opening spread of a story later on in the book. I can't remember which, I can't remember which story it was. Thief of Song, the next to last story. Oh, it was Thief of Song. Okay. Yeah. And I thought that that felt very deliberate as well. And I kind of liked it as well, Deb. Oh, yeah. But this is set in Japan. Too, right? Oh, so you oh, think true. that they left the Japanese in because it's a Japanese set story? No, I think it's just too difficult. Beach still is the Japanese too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Like this is watercolor. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to t- touch this one up? I like that the, the Japanese is there actually. Like as an yeah. like a weird little side in Haikyuu where they have the banners for each of the schools, and they translated mm-hmm. it from the kanji to just English words like. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the calligraphy had a mood, but that you can't get with computer lettering. And it's just, it disappointed me immensely. <laughs> yeah. Christopher saying Maho, like Spanish is killing me. Yeah. I, I do that for French too. We always get, we always give, Canadians give all foreign words a French pronunciation first and then learn what the actual pronunciation is. So yeah. Spanish, especially where the words kind of look like they might be French is a, is a big one for that. And so, yeah, uh, Majo it written in Roman letters, just, just every part of my brain that could be firing saying that that's wrong is firing, screaming, saying, don't say Majo, don't say Majo, but that's actually pretty, good to say. So that's pretty good. But a lot of these floating text situations, like I think the solutions are, it's 50, 50 logistics and creative like choices. Mm. Because if you don't have files that you can like layer over the nice new lettering on, then it becomes a nightmare, you know. Mm. Like yeah. page two ninety four, just after the Thief of Songs uh, title spread we were talking about, you know, choose something convenient. But there's like a gradient in the lettering of the shoe squeaking on the floor. Yeah, like there are all these little touches that, if it was more integrated into the art, would have taken hours per page. I mean, it probably still took hours per page, but even more hours per page. You know, good job on the letterers adding the gradients or adding, maybe it was actually even done in color because these would have been watercolor pages in the original. Good job on them for including those. That's actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, good looking book. That. Because, I, you know, there's already so much line work going on here. Like to have like two sets of sound effects, right? We have just cluttered it crazy. Yeah. In a crazy way. <laughs> this is maybe one of the few art comics that we've actually talked about on this show, isn't it? You know, it's it, it it ran in the same magazine as Matsumoto's work, and it, it a ping pong, but it feels or actually we never did we read Icky? No, we haven't read anything from Icky. We just talk a lot about it because ping pong was actually in Big Comic Spirits, and then mm-hmm. we read Die Dark, which was after Doro Hidoro, which was in Icky. We just mm-hmm. talked a lot about Icky, especially in the show notes, and never actually read anything from it. This might be the first book. 
But we talk a lot about Spider-Man too, you know? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And one day we'll cover a (laughs) Spider-Man. Oh my God, will we? Maybe. Maybe. Oh, the Ikigami Spider-Man. I would would be so there to talk about it. I would be so there for that one. That would be great. You know, I could still I could still assign you bat manga. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, always threatening it. All right, let's go around the table and let's have some final thoughts on this one. I don't know. How about Chip? Why don't you start? I agree with David. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, whatever he's about to say, I agree with it. <laughs> David didn't say anything yet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I ended up enjoying it more than I thought I would after the first couple of stories. I think I think it's a beautiful, well-told, yeah, yeah, thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> and building on what Chip is saying about it being well-told, I think my final thought is there are so many gross drawings in here that are really well done. And my example <laughs> and you love two that. that are not gross in real life, but are very gross drawn. Page 59, where she's eating the salad, the like close up on her mouth. And there's a couple drawings later yeah, yeah. that are just like teeth and lips. And there's something about like isolating that part of the body in this way, in like a very like strange angle, kind of inhuman way. That's really creepy to me and really effectively creepy. Like it emphasizes the, the consumption, the, the grossness of the human mouth. So don't <laughs> yeah. read too deep into that. This is a pretty good book. And you should probably check it out if you like witches and or good drawings. Christopher, how about you? What do you think? I have so many final thoughts, but the first one is, this is a book I was going to choose at one point, so I'm glad Deb picked it so I could get something else. Thank you, Deb. (laughs) The second is that when you mentioned, Deb, when you mentioned Emanon by Mm. Kenji Surata, Suruta, Mm. sorry, who's the illustrator of that, it reminds me that I kind of place the work of Daisuke Girashi in with that kind of group of people. So yeah, mm-hmm. his work reminds me a lot of Kenji Suruta's work. It also reminds me of Yuki Urushibara, who did a book called Mushishi, which everyone and their mom Oh, knows. yeah. Mm. And that the art is very reminiscent, but in like, you know, they're all, they all share an influence, but maybe are sort of doing their own thing with it, which is really interesting. But even mm. more than that, it reminds me of an untranslated one that's only in French by Yuki Urushibara called Suiki. And it's about someone who sort of falls asleep and goes into their grandmother's past into a, t- a time when like the world was different in ways that we've forgotten now, which is like so Daisuke Garashi actually. Like, <laughs> someone's got to translate this book. It's great. So yeah, I think that they're, I think if you like Mushishi, I think if you like Kenji Saruta's other work, I think if you like, you know, Matsumoto's work to like maybe Gogo Monster. If Gogo Monster is your favorite mm. Matsumoto, then you should definitely be checking this one out. And yeah, I think it is a fascinating work that people, you know, if you if you just let yourself breathe or maybe skip the first story and come back to it at the end, I think you're going to really enjoy this book. Very nice. If you skip it, you got to stick with it. Don't be a quitter. Yeah. Yeah. You got to come back and read that first chapter. (laughs) Ah, witches, witches, witches. I, I don't know. Part of me picking this was a bit of a gimmick, right? Because... It was such a counterpoint to Witch Hat Atelier. It's such a counterpoint. <laughs> you know, that, you know, Witch Hat Atelier is like, oh, you know, magic and, you know, oh, like little girls and, you know, beautiful drawings and magical worlds of, you know, wings and making fire and stuff like that, right? Where magic is is 
magic is yes, a little dangerous, and yes, magic can be wielded by very bad people doing very bad things. But I've always kind of been more of a, I'm not a big horror fan, but I do like, I, I enjoy stuff like a Poltergeist or like Blair Witch Project, where it's like, oh, nature, like nature evil, like evil that you can't understand, <laughs> force mm-hmm. things that don't make any sense, but you know it's mm. real. That kind of stuff, I think, is much more fun than and scary than a serial killer or someone who just can make magic, like Doctor Strange, you know? Or Sandman. Yeah, you know, like I like mysterious. <laughs> Sorry, he needed his magical tools in order to cast magic, so I'll have you know that it was very well thought out. <laughs> I like this kind of book, but, you know, I, I, I do like Children to See Better Than This, and I think you're spot on, Chris. I mean, Goko Monster is my favorite Taiyo Matsumoto book, so oh. I guess that's my taste. <laughs> And it's David's most loathed Tayo Matsumoto book. We're going to have to read that at some point. (gasps) Is it really? I didn't know that. No, I feel like I started reading it and then it wasn't clicking. So I stopped reading it. And then somehow 10 years passed and it's still on my shelf over here. Got a hold on you. I like like that. That that qualifies for Chris as a a loathe. It didn't click. Stopped reading it. It's like how the first two stories in this are just like, just disgusted David and myself. Dare you. They're obscene, honestly. I don't understand (laughs) how they're being published. How dare you besmirch this book in that way. (laughs) I'm looking forward to like seeing how other people react to this book as when we put this episode out in the world and see how people react to it. Um, I think, I don't think it's for everybody, but I do think for the right reader, you'll like, you'll find it fascinating and inspiring and mystifying. You might hate parts of it. You might love parts of it, but it won't leave you, I guess, indifferent, I think. All right. We, we part our way through witches. We don't know what we're going to be talking about next, but we'll find out after this break. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Manga Must Reads, brought to you by Comixology. With Comixology Unlimited, you get access to over 6,000 volumes of manga, including new, classic, and undiscovered gems that you can read online anytime, including the manga we'll be discussing today. And that manga is Drops of God by Tadashi Agi and Shu Okimoto. 
published by Kodansha, and it's available now on Comixology Unlimited. This is a really interesting one because this is available exclusively on Comixology Unlimited. This book was published by Vertical back in the day, among explaining favorites, Vertical. First four volumes, and it made something of a splash. I know Deb was involved a little bit in doing some marketing for it and getting it mentioned out there. But at the same time, having a book, a manga like this, that's general interest, but not necessarily of interest to hardcore manga fans who made up the entirety of the market 10 years ago when this was released, meant that this kind of suffered a little bit sales-wise. They did release a fifth volume that jumped ahead like 10 or 15 volumes to sort of introduce more American wines and less to be talking about you know French wines and Italian wines and things like that. <laughs> didn't, didn't unfortunately save the, the series for the Americans. <laughs> They thought that was the problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit, yeah. The, eh, you know, all these French wines that we don't have here, Californians want to read about California wines, New World wines. But we'll talk about uh, that in just a sec. But uh, this is a rare example of a license rescue where an incompleted series was picked up and is published now completely digitally. All 44 volumes are on Comixology. You know? It's pretty amazing that that happened. There's a couple series like that. Initial D and I think Beck is maybe the other sort of notable one and then a couple of other originals. But mm -hmm. yeah, it is wild that this manga that did not do very well upon release is now available digitally for everyone to read. And that brings us to, well, you know, let's start, Deb. I want to I want to hear what you think about Drops of God because you were like basically one of the series' biggest fans <laughs> when it actually first came out. And personally, I don't know a lot about well, I don't know very much about wine at all. I craft beer, I could talk your ear off, but I don't know a lot about wine. So I was coming into this kind of fresh, but you, I think you're maybe an expert. <laughs> I I love wine. <laughs> I seriously do. Partly because I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a big wine hotspot. Mm. I dated a sommelier, so that has an impact too. <laughs> Ooh la la. <laughs> and so you, I just, there's a lot of things to learn about wine, which is really fun. I think what's really neat about Drops of God and what made it really impactful in the market was that they spotlighted real wines. Not mm. they, These were real wines from real wineries that you could go out and buy. And that was kind of revolutionary because, as you know, Japan and most of Asia is not a native wine drinking territory. Mostly sake, sochu, and things like that, right? So the food doesn't naturally go with wine. They don't mm. grow grapes and make wine typically, or they haven't until very recently. And so, you know, wine and wine is kind of considered to be kind of esoteric, right? Kind of hoity-toity. And sometimes people, like what you'll see in this book is people throwing around their money, go, oh, I just want super expensive wine because that proves I'm rich and smart. <laughs> and what this book does is it kind of does both, right? It says, oh, this is this is a $10,000 bottle of wine. But by the way, this is another bottle of wine that is $40 that is just as good. Mm. So it kind of breaks it down. It makes it, it's explainery, but it also uh -huh. is dramatic. It's very beautiful. And it also does kind of this, like, how do you make wine tasting visual? You use metaphors. Mm. You know, like drinking this really powerful wine is like listening to Queen singing Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> drinking this wine is like a field of flowers. You know, it's very, it's kind of like, it's kind of like food wars, except you know, their, their clothes stay intact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love this manga, but, you know, it. I'm wondering how people who don't like wine thought. One thing I thought was really striking about it is that it was, like, I think Wine Spectator mentioned this manga mm. as one of the top 50 most influential 
publications about wine? No, period. Like people, like including people, including restaurants. Oh, wow. It was hugely influential in changing the wine market in Asia. Like anything that got featured in it just sold up. Hmm. And it increased people's appreciation for wine in a, in a really dramatic way, just by making it fun and accessible. And then maybe hmm, a little that's sexy. Pretty wild. What about you, David? Did the romance of these pages, the beautiful tasting <laughs> notes, beautifully arrayed convince you of the success of this manga? Or how did, how did it land for you? So unfortunately, I don't drink. So all of the finer notes about how great wine is were like completely lost on me. But I did, like I reading this, I was like, oh, this would be like someone else reading like a sports manga or a samurai manga that I'm very into, but like can't quite... Mm. Like when something is really your bag, like you, you're you just into it and you can't really explain why. I feel like this is that manga for a lot of people who are into wine because it's so detailed and so it feels so inside that I don't know if I can personally fairly judge it because I don't know anything about wine. Like when they were like, yeah, there's Romane Conti and then Domain <laughs> Romane Conti and they're two different things. I'm like, all right, I'm out. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> 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 but I like that the the drama is one of those like complete this task and gain all the money and benefits from my will kind of thing. And the son mm. is like, eh, I'm kind of going to do it out of spite, like because I don't like this other guy who's going to get it. I think that drama is really good. Yeah. Some of the facial expressions are really fun, too, I think. Chipper, you're kind of a rosé all day fella. <laughs> what do you think of this particular manga? You've also bounced off of some explainer manga in the past. So I'm curious because I think that this one was pretty explainery. It was. And like, you know, David mentioned like that it was kind of big on the details. And I felt like they could have probably stripped those details back a fair amount, especially in mm. volume one. Like, I think that's the thing. Like, I think you could have gone more broad in volume one, like if a lot of these details were in like volume five or six, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. There's an acceleration there of, of the explanatory parts. But also, you know, much like David, like the the drama of it all, like, or I, I should say like, like it, it, is it shonen-y? The, the kind of the, uh, like the, the task that's put forth and, yeah. you know, the, the protagonist, antagonist, you know, competing to be the best at a thing. There's like a limited um, number of things you have to do to get your goal. So like there's a yeah. limit. Yeah. It feels like a very funny idea to graft wine onto that template, <laughs> <laughs> which I, actually, I I like that as a joke. Like whenever they were like really serious about a thing, I'm just I would laugh a bit because I'm just like, oh, like who gives a shit? But like, <laughs> it, it's really funny that they're serious about it. Like uh, it, it peaked early on for you when it turns out like, you know that the guy decanting it at the perfect height or whatever turns out to work for like a beer company. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. You know, I'm, I was, I've kind of, I was pulled out of it a little bit. The fact that like, you know, the young woman in the story wants to be a sommelier. And yet this, like this guy who's inherited his father's like, or potentially inherited his father's kingdom and was trained to like sniff leather or pencils or whatever back in the day is actually better at this than she is in so many ways like that. I felt like that was a little unfortunate. Like, like mm. she, she's like the support crew, but even still, like she's the one that like breaks the bottle of wine they have to replace. Like I kind of would have liked it if he kind of made a couple more screw ups. Mm. 
to kind of like bring him down a bit more and kind of bring her up a little bit. But yeah, like it, I, I actually really enjoyed it. But a lot of it was like maybe I was laughing at a thing that you you weren't necessarily meant to laugh at, if that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. You got to keep people interested in these kind of stories. And I think yeah. that like having having it be super serious about wine, like, yeah, someone's going to go and be like, yes, this is absolutely 100% correct. You should be serious. This is a very important bottle of wine. And then someone else who's reading it and buying every volume is going to be like, oh, my God, these guys and their wine. I'm just reading to figure out what to order when I go out with my boss next week. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that there's different yeah. levels on this for sure. But I, I love I love the pages like when the the homeless Albert Einstein of wine, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he has the task for him to figure out the differences between the two wines, and it's like it's like a it's not quite a splash page, but it's almost a splash page. Is the close up of of his face going? These two wines are the same wine. It's like dun 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 dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like, like it means nothing to me. But it's very funny that it means everything to the scene. Yeah. So I, I, I enjoyed it on that level. And it, it's it's you know, it's it's well drawn. It's not in kind of like, you know, the upper echelons of manga we've read before, but there's a lot of effort that's kind of put into it and I appreciate that, even if things are mm. slightly off panel to panel. Yeah. 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 It's well done. Gave me real Oishinbo vibes. Mm-hmm. I know that we didn't read all the volumes of Oishinbo, but we did read I, I, the sake volume has a bit on mm. wine. It has a has a whole story about Beaujolais Nouveau, and it's basically just the authors yelling at the Japanese populace for a whole story, going, "You're all idiots, and you're drinking this wine, and it's garbage. It's garbage wine from France. They don't even drink it. What are you doing? You're all fools." <laughs> and I feel like this is like, all right, we're gonna start there and be like, perhaps this is a way you could approach wine as opposed to just screaming at people, which is what that story in, in Ocean Boat does that really well. And there's other things too. There's like the hapless young guy who's secretly like the best and then like the plucky girl who's assigned to help him out who's actually really super smart and capable, but like, oh, she's gotta help out this like doofus. Yeah. And instead of it being his <laughs> it's evil very similar. Dad, it's yeah. literally the Patrick Bateman of wine is like who he's going up against. This like total eighties <laughs> sociopath who's just like, have you lined up all of the dirt for me to taste for the wine tasting this evening? <laughs> like it's he is crazy. Like and it's so good, right? Like, yeah. I the drama of it, you have to laugh at it because it's so so high tension. But it the stakes are like within the world, the stakes. It's like. At the end of the day, it's two million dollars in wine. Like, eh, like I'd like two million dollars. Or they spend way more than that traveling the world to discover these wines. By the way, I'm yeah, sure. like, sure, this sounds great. But like, at the end of the day, it's like I'm just gonna go back and work at the the beer factory. And like, who cares? Like, this is these are all very weird people. Actually, <laughs> literally every single character that's been introduced so far is deeply weird. An interesting choice, Deb. I gotta know. As soon as, as soon as you picked this, Deb picked this one, by the way, but I'm, I'm hosting because why not? <laughs> Have you ever sought out a wine that you read about in this manga to see if it tasted like standing in a field of strawberry jam? I can't find them. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I've actually tried, and they're mm. really hard to find. The only thing I could find was, in a later volume, there's Clopagas, which is a Napa wine. Okay. And, and oh, the trick okay. with this is that the tasting notes that they have are for specific years. Ah. So, and so if you drink 
that wine from that winery and it's not from the exact same vineyard that exact same year, you might not have the same experience. And because this manga is so popular, a lot of times those wines just sell out. Yeah. So I've never had that experience where I could try one of these wines and go, yes, I can feel Bohemian Rhapsody just coursing through me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Admittedly, the, the most expensive bottle of wine I've enjoyed is maybe about a $500 bottle of wine. Whoa. Wow. Did it taste like worth it? Yeah. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Did it taste like rock and roll music? <laughs> no, it tasted like a symphony and and it smelled like expense accounts. <laughs> well, thanks to whoever paid. I can't I can't believe I was making fun of the dad in in Chi and it's like jeans that cost more than the couch and you're spending $500 on a bottle of wine. My god. I went to El Bulli, honeys. <laughs> yeah, Rosé O'Day indeed, Chips Darsky. Rosé O'Day indeed. <laughs> I buy my wine based on how funny the label is, which is not the best way to buy wine. <laughs> well, Deb's the real MVP for this title. Thank you so much, Deb, for choosing it. This has been Drops of God by Tadashi Agi and Shu Okamoto. It's published by Kodansha. It's available now on Comixology Unlimited. Go to... Comixology Unlimited, check out a free preview. And if you're new to Comixology Unlimited, you'll get a free 30-day trial by going to Amazon.com slash Comixology Unlimited. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back. And since we've talked about a lot of things today, I think we just have time for shout-outs. Who wants to go first? I'll jump on that grenade. Okay. So I've been talking the past few weeks about catching up on TV and how I'm always late. And <laughs> a side effect of being always late to watching TV shows is I keep being surprised when TV shows either end or don't end. But the last season of Snowfall, I assumed was the final season. It turns out there's another season. So I was bracing the entire like time I was watching it <laughs> for like a horrible thing that never happened. And I've been catching up on Better Call Saul over the past week, which is really good, you know. Odenkirk is as great as ever. Rhea Seahorn's amazing. She directs an episode, which was really good. I, I had, didn't realize that she'd been doing that. And I was like, oh, man, there's like one episode less. I'm almost caught up. Like, this is really going to be like a crazy gangbusters episode. And <laughs> then I watched it. It was really good. I was like, oh, it's kind of a weird ending. But, you know, like, I'm happy with it. And there's still five episodes to go because I read the wrong website that said there were eight episodes of Better Call Saul season six. <laughs> but what it meant was there are eight episodes out right now. So uh, I'm finally current with the TV show, which is really exciting for me. And Better Call Saul is great. And that is my shout out for this week. How about you, Chip? Do you have nice. anything? Uh, much like last week, maybe the week before, I've consumed nothing that isn't uh, work-related. Uh, I'm starting to realize that uh, maybe that's why I'm so sad all the time. <laughs> I'm jealous of the Better Call Saul watching because it's not available on, on any of my streaming devices subscriptions or whatever mm. so i've got to wait probably another year before i can watch it which means i'll probably get spoiled by the time that happens and that's just the world we live in it's torture you gotta stay off twitter it's torture. yeah <laughs> <laughs> easy you're not on twitter right not really. <laughs> when I need when I need to promote something, well, I'm drawn to it like a moth to a self promotional flame. <laughs> but then I get burned so quickly. <laughs> I shut it down. As do we all. 
very, very fast. <laughs> so yeah, I got nothing. Oh, well. How about you, Chris? Do you have a pick? I went and watched a bunch of old episodes of Community. Really loved it. Super oh, hey. good. <laughs> I never watched the last season. I don't watch the last season of anything because I don't want it to be over. But So I never watched the last season. I still haven't seen it. But I did decide I was going to start at season two where it kind of finds its stride and watched all of season two of Community on and off over the last week or so. And it's like a, it's like a warm hug watching that show. It's delightful. The, the the not watching final seasons of things does that also extend to your your real life like when you and i are like 70 will you stop being friends with me <laughs> no i'm just gonna disappear wow just Amazing. into the wow. woods buddy <laughs> okay though speaking of final seasons i've i'm deep into match season 11 now oh, oh wow. man getting towards mm. i assume it's like a full season so i probably have maybe a dozen episodes to go before the finale but oh, I like man. how it's back to being really funny, but also really dramatic. Like that Oh, it's so intense. Out of whack for a while. Huh. Yeah. That last season. I just watched the huh. episode where Honeycutt got a medal for basically like getting a guy killed, like cutting a rope when a helicopter was trying to take off and leaving a guy to die. And like he's upset about oh. it. And he kind of, it's MASH doing auto critique. Like yeah. we sit here in our, you know, hospitals, you know, saying all this stuff about the military and soldiers and blah, 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 holier than thou. I was like, oh, this, this show's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> finally. Right? It took 11 <laughs> seasons, but finally they gave Kelly like a, a spotlight moment where she's like, I've been here the whole time and no one pays attention to me. Like, I'm just as valid as everyone else. Like, all these little, like, bits and pieces are coming together now in a way I really appreciate. So, unlike Christopher, I love final seasons and I wish everything <laughs> was the final season. I like wow. the final season of MASH, I'll give you that. I was actually hinting at that moment with Kelly and a couple of other things in the... We actually just talked about MASH in the episode that went live today, yeah. just the All-Rounder Megaru. And it's like, oh, it's funny that you're catching up on that because, yeah, that's it was fun listening to that and knowing that you had a whole journey ahead of you of more episodes <laughs> of MASH. And now that journey is almost at an end. It's true. Wow. Deb, how about you? Do you have a shout out for us? Is it manga? I <laughs> <laughs> it's a webtoon see i'm changing oh, it up a little bit oh. <laughs> <laughs> as always i'm always going to shout out with recency bias right the last thing i really like that i just read this week <laughs> so i'm going to shout out the one i recommended to you the boxer by jh it's on webtoon it's a sports story about a boxer and it's really i appreciate it how it does some really, mm, I don't know, I guess clever things about how it unfolds the story. Like you read the first chapter and it's this white haired, spiky haired high school kid who has this really unconventional boxing style. You think, oh, okay, yeah, that's the hero. And then you get to chapter two and it's not. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. dun. The her- then, then this other character comes, it's like this dead eyed boy with black hair and apparently and he gets bullied a lot but you find out later actually he's stronger than the white-haired kid and then you don't see the white-haired kid for at least another 80 chapters i love it it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of crazy then there's the coach who you know he's driven right and you think oh it's kind of like hajime no ipo the coach is like this former champion he's driven and then as the story goes on you discover things about the coach and the people that he's coached before and the way that it all comes out is it was it was so smart. 
so clever. The way he builds character and builds backstory on each of the, you know, the boxers that he fights against. And it goes through these arcs of like pure hilarity. Like there's this part where there's this Russian boxer who's just into Mohawks. Like he's convinced that a Mohawk makes you a strong person. And then he makes everyone around him wear Mohawks. It's I agree. stupid. It's yeah, incredibly yeah. stupid. <laughs> and then it goes down some really dark paths about child abuse and about, you know, war and about PTSD. And it's it takes you on a ride. So I I picked it up because Yen Press announced that they're gonna put out a print version in December through their Korean imprint Ize Press. So I thought, well, if they picked it for print, it's gotta be interesting. And that has taken me down some paths where I've read some books that are like, oh God, no, this is horrible. What? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I got reimbursed and got tricked into marrying the villainess, you know, that kind of bullshit type of webtoon. There's tons of it. It's the version Mm -hmm. of Isekai and webtoons. This is something special. So go check it out. There's a character that pops up midway that is, that the author basically says, this is a tribute to Hajime no Ippo. (laughs) That sounds right it's up my alley. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's I, I swear you'll you'll love it. Go check it out. It'll it'll make you throw bunny at webtoon in a way that you never expected you would. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we've just gotten through two parts, part two of our exploration of witches in manga. Next week, David takes over and takes us down a totally different witches story. Stay tuned for that. been Mangasplaining episode 73, which is by Daisuke Igarashi. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be reading Witchcraft Works by Ryu Mizunagi. Want to pick up a copy? Please consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com And don't forget to check out our newsletter and publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment for this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.